Welcome to a special Wired podcast on social innovation in partnership with Hitachi. Social innovation is the hunt for new solutions to unsolved problems, from how we design our cities to how we organise our lives, about finding novel ways to challenges we face not only as individuals but also as society. I'm joined by uh, Hisham Abdusamad, CEO of Hitachi's Global Digital Holdings. Hello. Hi. Hi, Jeremy. How are you? Very well, thank you. Nice to have you here today. Uh, you. Now, what I want to talk about, uh, what we've come together to talk about is what you guys are specialising in over there, which is what you're terming as social innovation. And what what I want to focus in on straight away is, is maybe let's nail that down straight away and talk about what that actually is. Wired is all about innovation. We embrace innovation in every field we possibly can. So what is social innovation? So for Hitachi, social innovation is something that's been sort of in, in, embraced and engraved in our culture for a long time. We have a social responsibility in terms of using technology and innovation to solve some of the biggest problems around the world. And, and by doing so, contributing to society in a very positive way. So things like renewable energy, clean water, safe, safer cities, uh, uh, aid in the, the Asian population. These are social issues that would leverage some level of innovation to solve. So it's really that simple. So it, 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 it is innovation, but it's focused on society um, as a whole and, and, and how to make an impact to society as a company. And, and Hitachi's got history over 106 years of, of really thinking that way and, and really taking all of our capabilities and innovation and thinking about society first. Obviously, there's a, there's a commercial aspect of it as well, but I think uh, we, we call it social innovation for those reasons. So some examples maybe then. If you've got a history of doing this, yeah. let's let's look further back into the past of Hitachi right. and say, so where have they been doing this in the past? So, uh, for example, I'll, I'll give you some examples. In Japan, you know, we have a, an Asian population challenge, right? So, um, and that's, that's, that's happening. So how do you use technology to aid an Asian population um, in terms of, do they all have to go to nursing homes? Can you leverage AI, robotics? Can you can you bring a robot that could assist uh, an Asian person around their prescriptions and things like that? So that's a not, that's one way. The other way is is you know safety. If you look at the trains in Tokyo and and even in the UK, um, you know we use you're involved in that. In we are very much so, and, and and we think about safety. How do you use technology to make sure things run on time and run safely? How do you use technology to make sure things don't break? So these are things like that that we that we are, are big on. Public safety, our cameras, uh, facial recognition uh, capabilities like that. We also have energy businesses that are focused on renewables. Um, so we touch many industries because we're in some of these industries, and and we do have a. We feel like we have a, a responsibility to the world to, to to contribute in that way. Now, see, the thing is, lots of companies talk about innovation, mm-hmm. and lots of companies talk about uh, sustainability. And um, you know, and one of these, the the trick is actually melding the two together. And then also, you're in business, you know, making it work. Um, there is the um, snappy, uh, snappy moniker of the three P's, isn't there? It's planet, people. And profit, and whether those all three can actually go together, right? And this is the sort of thing that many companies are actually struggling with. You can sort of go for the money, or you can go for good, do good. But they're not. They they most people would think of those things as being mutually exclusive. Yeah. But you're saying no. No, we're saying no because we feel that obviously we're a publicly traded company, so we measure it every quarter and our earnings and our revenue and 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 return to our shareholders and dividends and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's about building partnerships and relationships that solves problems and makes an impact. And if you focus on the right things, the revenue will come, the profitability will be there, you get your fair share. So so I think, and, and it's a Japanese culture in terms of looking at it that way, but it's been proven right for us. You know, we, you know, we don't enjoy the, 
it's not a, a business that, that thinks about profit first. It thinks about society and innovation. Compliance is also a big deal for us, so make, doing business the right way. And I think if you do those things, the rest will, will come. And, and that's been what we've seen in our history. And we should point out, when people, you know, the average consumer knows the consumer products of Hitachi, mm-hmm. but most people don't realize that Hitachi run everything from nuclear power plants mm-hmm. to train systems to, and, and more and more and more. It's a, it's, and, and this is the sort of, this is the sort of experience that you guys want to draw upon. Right. This idea of involvement in, in virtually every industry you can think of. Right. And then bring it to other companies and say, okay, this is how we can actually change it for the better. But let's look at some actual positive examples, some, some real-world examples. Um, I was interested to hear about your, um, the, this, this case study uh, in Sardinia, where you were talking about um, saving water and how this can actually be done, not only to you know, benefit society, but also benefit from a financial point of view. This is particularly of interest to the people in the UK at the moment, of course, because we lose about 20% of our water through leakage mm-hmm. before they even get to the, any house, mm-hmm. for example. So mm-hmm. a huge amount mm-hmm. of water comes out of this. And this was the sort of problem that Hitachi were brought in to actually look at in Sardinia, wasn't it? Right. So, you know, that's one of the examples. Uh, and, and just going back to your point about what Hitachi does, and it, it's not a, we're not a global, you know, we're not a marketing machine, right? And I think that's by design. And, and, and we, we are sort of one of the best kept secrets. A lot of people don't know that 45% of all the automotive parts that you see are made by Hitachi. Right. Yes. Um, we've invented the, you know, you look at the Xbox and, and the, the sensor that does the, the motion in the Xbox. The Kinect. That's the, the Kinect. That's Hitachi behind the scenes. So we're sort of a behind the scenes company. Because we, innovation is at the core of what we do. Now, when you get into projects in Sardinia, for example, we love those projects. And we come in not with a, hey, I got a great product and, and I want to sell you something that's going to make an impact. We come in and say, what is your problem? And we take a, sort of a vested interest in solving it. And in this case, leakage is a, sort of an old problem around utilities. But with new technologies around sensors and analytics, you can actually understand where your leakage points are, and you can actually determine it, detect it, do something about it. The, the whole management around it could become much easier. So we feel that using digital capabilities, coupled with, we do have a water business, so we make pumps and, and things like that. So yeah. if you, So the uniqueness that we bring is that a lot of times we are in this very same industries that our clients are in or our partners are in. And then we leverage um, our technology capabilities as well as an industrial company that also has a technology arm. Many, if you think about what's out there, either you're a pure play technology company and you're very good at it, and that's the Facebooks and the Googles and the IBMs, or you're a pure play industrial company and you're very good at it. Hitachi has industrial capabilities and also IT capabilities combined, which makes us pretty unique to take advantage of this. So let's drill a little bit down I mean, into what actually you did in Sardinia, for example, because what I was surprised to read is that this isn't just pie in the sky sort of stuff. You went in, you looked at the system, you changed it and brought about a dramatic result. It was a 50% decrease in wastage, in loss, yeah, yeah which and is w- brilliant. It is. And, and I think so our approach there was what we call collaborative creation. It's a methodology, an approach that we talk to customers, co-creation. Yeah. And co-creation means... They understand we want to come in and partner and work together to innovate and build a solution for you together. We think that in a digital world and solving these types of problems, it's not a, a vendor 
providing something to a, to a customer, it's more of a collaborative relationship. So in this case, they have a problem. They understand what it is. They've, they've, they've tried to address it in a variety of different ways, but they have a lot of good people who are experts in that area. We brought our water expertise and also our digital, uh, digital technology expertise. And then we all, the other thing we did, we did is we made it very much outcome-based, which is basically saying we'll make the investment, we'll put our pipes, we'll put our infrastructure, we'll put our digital layer and we will show you how we can start to see benefits around this and, and, and reduce this, this leakage problem that you have. And then after that, then you get paid, right? So it's not a... Uh, yeah, where's the profit angle? Yes, here? and, and it, because we feel that if we position ourselves as an outcome-based or value-based sort of solution provider where you, you have a vested interest and you make an investment, then eventually, if you're so sure that you're going to deliver the outcome, then obviously it becomes an easier this, commercial discussion. So we did not, you know, so we invested and drove the outcome working together. And then we, and then the good news is we take that very solution now and it's very repeatable. So we can take it to other clients or municipalities and do the same thing. So that's our benefit long-term from that. Well, it is being repeated. It's being repeated in Italy mm-hmm. in over 100 principalities yes. now, isn't it? Yes. I mean, so they've taken this model and yes. it's obviously worked so well that they're going, oh, they're going to roll this out in 100 different regions. And that's, that's basically the investment we make. So we, we, we find a, a good client that has a, a problem that we collectively can work together on solving. We make an investment, and then we take that, and we say, we, hopefully now we could leverage it and go help others. And again, there is a commercial aspect to it, but certainly the focus has been about, hey, how do we solve this problem? And, and Hitachi takes a lot of pride in contributing to society in that way. And this is one of the examples. Let's look at another example yep. then. Let's talk about a little bit about uh, transport. You touched mm-hmm. on it before. Um, you guys have been involved with the East Japan Railway Company. Now, this is uh, you know uh, looking to um, to revolutionise the Tokyo Metropolitan Railways. Most people, it, it should be worth pointing out here that this is fourteen million. Uh, people traveling every day, 14 mm-hmm. million journeys every day, and over 10,000 trains a day as well. Mm-hmm. This is not a small operation mm-hmm. in any case. So what, talk me through that case study. Yeah. What were you brought in to do, and, and what did you achieve? So one of the things that Hitachi does, we have a rail business, um, Hitachi Rail. In fact, it's actually headquartered here in the UK, yeah. so we moved that over to the UK. We've been doing rail for in Japan for over 50 years. And for, them, for some of you or some of our listeners who have been to Japan, they realize two things. Trains run on time, always on time. They're safe, they're they reliable. That's unheard of here. It's always on time. <laughs> and, and we partnered with JR East, which is our biggest customer there. And so that experience, it's like how do we bring that experience here you know, around the world? In Italy, in the UK, and other countries are rolling out similar solutions. So it is a combination of control system experience, just being in that business for so long, you just have an advantage and, and, and poured in some of that capabilities over. Well, I've got you here then. I've yep. got to ask you, sort of like, what would you do with the UK rail system then? Because you've, you've lived here, you studied yep. here in Suffolk, yep. didn't you? So you know this, this country and our rail system. And, you know, they're talking a great deal at the moment about trying to make it better, about trying to digitalize it. So they, even, they don't even know where the trains are mm-hmm. a lot of the times in this, in the, with the system they yep. have at the moment. What can what can be done? It's a it's a, such a huge undertaking. It is it is significant. It's, I think we have a twenty seven year agreement to to basically you know modernize the the UK rail system and 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 but it's a it's a very much a close partnership with with the UK government and 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 the transportation agency. Um, the approach we took is this, and and this is very similar to what I talked about. We said let's do transportation as a service. So instead of you buying the trains and spending all the capital investment, let's make transportation as a service. Let's actually design the trains here in the UK to create jobs. 
And then when we do transportation as a service, there's a service level agreement that talks about uptime, reliability, being on time, et cetera. So it becomes on, it's the manufacturer now who is actually responsible for operating the trains and managing the trains and maintaining the trains. And for us to do that effectively, and, and uh, we need to digitize it. Hmm. And you know, so we've installed close to 700 sensors in each train. We're doing analytics on the trains as they run to understand when things are about to break. So when there is an issue, you, you actually retire the train, go fix it before it happens so you predictive don't have any maintenance. Predictive maintenance is big. Condition-based, we start with condition and predictive and prescriptive. And it helps us too because it helps our, our supply chain. So if you think about it, we can predict when things break. So that's completely just data and analytics and, and really sophisticated data models that keep learning. We also had a challenge to say, well, where do you do the analytics? Do you do that? Because the trains are running at 80 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour. How do you do that? We challenge the network connectivity. So we work with partners like Vodafone who are giving us 4G connectivity. Now, now it's going to be 5G connectivity because the data is flying at, at, at very high rates and, and also at scale. Yeah. Um, we're learning so much and we build that platform to be able to d- deliver a high quality of service because at the end of the day, the people who take the trains they expect the same experience that people in Japan have that kind of take for granted, right? They're reliable, they save, they run on time. Um, autonomous driving is big now, electrification of trains. So we're going to leverage, bring all those technologies and, 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 and make it a, a really great experience, uh, not just for moving people from point A to point B, but also we're looking at crowd control and how we route traffic and, and optimize everything at, at the right time. So inventory, supply chain, parts, logistics, it touches all aspects of it. So it's a huge undertaking and we made a commitment. This is this is not a, a, a vendor relationship. It's a partnership for a long time. And this, that's how Hitachi likes to work. This is the thing, though. So from an outsider point, point of view, you're thinking, sort of like, well, that is you're engaging a particular company, a particular corporation, and asking them to take care of a great deal of... So you're effectively putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Now, that has its advantages and disadvantages, mm-hmm. in, in naturally. But also, the idea... The, one of the advantages is that all of these systems, we talk about industrial IoT and uh, operational uh, technology. But um, one of the advantages there is that these things, because you've built them all, they all talk to each other. Yes. One of the problems with IoT, be it consumer or industrial IoT, is that there is no standardization That's of protocols. Correct. So it's why your fridge can't talk to your television, That's for right. example. And so how is it? how can we actually go further with this sort of technology if we, if we have to rely on solutions that require the employment of single entities, surely you'd like to work closely mm-hmm. with, with outside providers. Yep. Exactly. So how do we solve this problem? Well, I think, first of all, our, our, our notion is that we, we don't necessarily want to do IoT on things that we don't make. So yeah. we, we'd like to be, we have an open standard. So we, we actually, right now, we have a company that we've acquired, Ansaldo STS, that does uh, control systems for non-Hitachi trains. Mm. So for us, we want to build, we want to promote an open standard uh, sort of approach. Uh, we don't want to be a black box. And we have a an IoT platform that we call Lomada that's very open. It can work with any data and any sensors and so forth. So for us, it's about digital transformation for our assets, but also other people's assets. But what we value is that we need to eat our own dog food in the sense that there's a lot of learning that you need to do, and we want to make mistakes with our own, right, and learn from it. Because when we go talk to a, and, and when we tell this rail story, you'd be surprised. We'll talk to a big automotive company that's manufacturing cars, yeah, and they can totally relate. Oh yeah, even though it's a different asset, but it's a different, so, but it's similar problems. So it gives us the credibility. To say, hey, we've done it in rail. We've done it over the last six years or last forty years, but we haven't done it for cars. 
but here's what we've done. And then let's go create together. And we obviously have an advantage when we do that. So it's, uh, it's, Hitachi is a company that's very open to collaborating and working with others. Um, and, and we feel that we need, we don't need uh, black boxes. We, we could work across multi devices, multi interfaces to, to make that happen. This brings us neat, very neatly to the sort of another area, a very obvious area of social innovation is smart cities. Mm -hmm. Why do you think you're involved in this yeah. process? Why have we not seen more? So why have we not seen more in this area? Why are there not more smart cities? So, frankly, that's a great question. And, and I can tell you, we've been involved many times. And when you talk about a smart city, first of all, there's so many players. It gets very political because you got cities, you got municipalities, you got, you got everyone has an agenda. Uh, you got technology players. Everybody wants to be a part of that. Monetization of it is not very clear. That's another thing. I mean, and it's not, you know, so you build a smart city. So how do you monetize it? Okay, you, you invest in so much infrastructure to make people's lives easier. But in a sense, it's an ecosystem. What we realize is that it works better when you're building something from scratch. Mm. We see that in the Middle East. They're just building smart cities from scratch, right? You build it smart the right way from day one. So you can't get over the legacy systems. That's the right. Legacy so the legacy is, a, legacy is a big deal. So, and then the other thing we're starting to see is it's better when it's like large urban developments. Uh, we're seeing it's like a big campus that's a ur mixed urban commercial use developments. You're building it from scratch. You can do it the right way. It's digital from day one. You build a digital layer. All the stuff talk to each other. It's smart. But when you go and retrofit a Mumbai, or a, it's just very tough. Um, and it does need government involvement, and there's going to be some investment there. So quite frankly, we've dabbled with it just to learn, but we realize we're better off with smart hospitals, smart airports, smart campuses versus a smart city. Really? Yeah. So how long do you think it'll be till we live in smart Well, I think cities? it takes a consortium of many things. I think it's the autonomous driving has to be a big part of that, renewable energy, water, it, it's, a, it's a huge undertaking, and I think it's going to take many companies who are very committed and some investments from all parties uh, to make that a reality. That's amazing. Well, the idea that um, having healthcare part of this process, you say like smart hospitals, mm -hmm. smart, this is something that we are wired are talking a great deal about how this is supposedly going to be the decade of healthcare. We're seeing massive leaps forward in various innovations in not only diagnoses, but also equipment. I think we now have the first, um, the Oxford Nanopore brought out there, the first handheld genome sequence, mm -hmm. which is 99.5% accurate. Mm -hmm. And that was only 13 years after the genome, the human genome project. And this right. is the first so we're moving on a pace, just to say at the very least. This is an area where you can make Anybody can make a huge amount of social difference. Talk about social innovation. Healthcare surely has to be one of the top areas for this. Healthcare is always a huge agenda and, and a huge uh, priority for us. It's somewhat fragmented, as you know, and it varies by country and by, by region, and, uh, and there's a lot of complexities there. But however, it is primed for innovation and also simplicity. And you can think of it as as simple as having medical, you know, one single medical record for all patients where you could just... You have one medical record, and you can take it to any hospital, any care provider, and they know exactly your medical history. They don't have to ask you the same questions again. So that's as simple as that, like a mm -hmm. clinical repository. Yeah. And it goes as far as embedding an AI machine in your brain to avoid things like aneurysm and 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 predict things before they happen. So there's a there's a care management aspect of predictability that can help healthcare providers. But it is also there's a significant amount of change management that needs to take place because you're. Doctors have to work a, a different way. Um, all, all care providers do, insurance companies. So 
it, that industry is primed for transformation. Um, there's folks that started at going at it. I think what we feel our position is, I think artificial intelligence, algorithms, and things like that can really drive a better quality of health yeah. and focus on either predicting things before they happen or managing chronic health cases in a different way. And I think that's what we're focused on. We also have a healthcare medical business. So we've, we, 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 we make the, uh, the proton beam therapy machines that treat um, cancer in the brain, brain cancer. This is a massive nu nu nuclear machine that basically targets cancer cells without destroying the healthy cells. Um, and those are deployed around the world in some of the leading uh, cancer facilities. Or, so that's a that's more of a device thing. Yeah. Now we're we're looking at artificial intelligence and machine learning and how those new technologies can be really embedded in in the healthcare system. So it's don't think about medic medication and drugs and but you think about different other, there's alternatives to predict things before they actually happen or or intercept things before they happen. So many companies produce vast quantities of data. And I think it takes very brave people at organizations to admit um, that they actually don't know what, what on earth to do with it. And I think so many don't know what to yeah. do with it, but they pretend that they do. Is this what you come across Yes. A lot? In fact, I think over the last two years, it's changed. I think they're, they're starting to say, we know that we have so much data. We, first, we don't know where it is. Um, it's all sitting in silos, and we know that we're only leveraging three or four percent of it. So they actually will admit that because it's not a bad problem. It's it's not a um, sort of like why do you have this problem? It's just the way data data gets created through applications. It sits in silos of infrastructure, and then you have silos of silos of silos. And what people understand now is that data will outlive the application that ever created it. Right? Meaning that data lives forever. Applications get replatformed. They get retired. And then if you start to figure out how to govern the data, how to repurpose it, and then how to, how to analyze it for insight, you do gain a competitive advantage. You start to learn more about your customers, your, your, your products. And that's why when you see new startups that are born digital from day one, the reason why they're so disruptive is because they don't have the legacy. They do it right the first time. And they have data and, and they, can, they know how to analyze it. And they have this data-first agenda. And I think companies more and more, they need to start thinking about how do we it's not just structured, it's structured and unstructured, and how do we take this data and, and really mine it for insight? Easier said than done, yeah. because you have to, you really have to, first of all, find out where everything is, what's important and what's not important, and then start to build these data models that could help you really optimize your business or create some sort of innovation that could be disruptive in your own business. And let's, so let's talk about, let's talk about businesses then. So like, um, we've, Businesses are changing their corporate structure at the moment to deal with these sort of technology issues. The rise of the chief digital officer, mm -hmm. and the chief data, data officer, is this something? This sort of if this, is this the sort of thing that companies need to be doing? And and also, should they be doing anything different if they want to focus on on social innovation rather than just innovation? Right. Is there a difference there in there, how a corporate structure should be for those two goals? Certainly there's a difference, and obviously there's several you know, different trains of thought. So one is when you talk about chief digital officer, chief data officer, we've, start, we're, we've seen that role sort of evolve over the last four or five years. And I think initially it was sort of a technology role, someone who understands structured and unstructured data and can do ETL or analytics. Um, so that's, you know, kind of like in the corner, you're just playing in the sandbox. Now that role is evolving and becoming much more strategic because when you talk about digital transformation, which is what everybody talks about, you got to touch every aspect of your business across the whole value chain. And data becomes the currency, right? So if data is not core to your business, then, then you're missing a big thing. And I think companies realize 
when you say, what business are you in? Or like, well, we're in the, um, we're in a trucking business. Like, no, 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 you're a data company. Because, because yeah, trucks are assets. But if you don't understand your best routes around your trucks, if you don't understand um, predictive maintenance, guided repair, when you make repairs, who makes repairs, how long does it take? If you don't understand your fuel consumption, your driver behavior, then you don't understand, then you can't run a very efficient business and your margin is always going to be low. And someone is going to come around the corner and do it just so much better because they have that advantage. So most companies should think about where data, obviously they have a core business, but what powers it and fuels it is data and information. And that's what creates the differentiation in the market. Companies who mine their data and analyze it and put it at the core of their strategy are going to do better than companies that think that data is just it's just another, it, it sort of sits in a silo and it's not really important. As it's important. another element to their It's business. not the element. And that's why the chief data officer, digital officer, it very important role. It's a business role, not a technology role. Yeah. And it's a transformational role. And I think we're seeing it work well in some companies and not as well in others. But I think it's just a matter of time, right? I think in the next four or five years, we're not going to talk about digital transformation. It's just going to be it. Everybody, either that or you're not going to survive. Um, as far as your last question on... Do we think about innovation in terms of society? Um, you know, it's it's a philosoph it's a philosophical question because in Hitachi we connect innovation to society. So if we if we can't improve or solve a problem, then why innovate? Some companies think if you can't monetize innovation, then don't do it. So it, 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 there are different trains of thoughts there. But but I think at the end of the day, innovation technology is a wonderful thing. Could be also a very bad thing. But it's a wonderful thing that if it's leveraged the right way, it does solve some big problems. And we start, and, and obviously, as consumers of technology, we see that every day, right? Our lives have changed four or five years ago. How you communicate, how you consume technology has completely changed. And some people use it the right way and some people don't. So for us, if we can take innovation and connect it to society somehow. So for example, are we interested in having your refrigerator talk to your TV? Hitachi is not interested in that because it doesn't solve a big problem. But we're interested in, in, in water consumption and drought issues and, and renewable energy. To me, those are much more bigger issues to focus our attention on. And that's where our innovation goes. And if you do it right, it can actually also be good business yeah. as opposed to just good for society. You know, I, th I think in, in most customers, if you're creating so much value, then you have the right to ask for a piece of that. Yeah. Right? And I think so if you are creating, if you create value, good things happen. If you're just selling things or products or pushing technologies, um, yeah, then you're not, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean value. So we've, we are very much focused on an outcome-based, value-based sort of value proposition. If I solve your problem, it's going to save you $100 million, mm. um, then you should pay for that. And I think people will pay for an outcome. I think it's very logical. You meet last question there. If you meet yep. a if you meet a, a, a CEO of a company mm -hmm. and they want to, they're talking to you about this and they say, well, you know, what's the I want to be more socially innovative. What's the first thing I should do? Well, you know, the first thing is, what is your corporate strategy, right? What is your mission? You know, every company has an identity. What what are you there to do? And 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 start with that. And then figure out how does that mission connect, affect society in any way. Whether you're transporting people, you're, you're, you're flying people, whether it's an airline or a rail company or a chemicals company, you have to kind of find that connection. Um, and, then, and then make that a purpose, right? And, and, and then start to connect within your ecosystem. The other thing is you got to partner around this. You cannot do this on your own. So Hitachi loves to partner and loves to co-create. So it's, it is, it's something that should be embedded in the DNA. We, we got lucky because... Social innovation was something Hitachi's done for many, many years. It's just, it's just what it's embedded in the DNA. So it was sort of a, 
were part of what we do. But, but to me, if you focus on society and if you have a genuine interest in solving problems and helping people, I think that translates into really good business and it translates into profits. We, we believe that. So, um, so that's... That's Hopefully the secret. The yeah, that's just, <laughs> it's it's easier said than done, but I think I, I, if you're patient with it, you you could you could reap the benefits. Hisham, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.